Hi there, local citizens. Welcome back to the podcast that inspires a borderless mindset around doing something in the world. As you can hear, I am in a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful perch high up in the hills, the mountains of Abri in Ghana with my guest for today, who is, let's say, a developer extraordinaire. And he is Mr. Kofi Hunky. Hi, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Yes. It's great to be here. Yes. Good to, good to have you. So let's just jump right in. Kofi, tell us where you're from, where you're local, and what is your craft? Well, interesting question, and uh, not necessarily a straightforward answer, but I was born and raised in Cleveland, Ohio. Oh, I didn't even know that. Yeah. Okay. To Ghanaian parents. Yes. Okay. So I've been living and working in Ghana for about 17 years, okay. full time, mm-hmm. and I usually tell people that I've come back, mm-hmm. and in some sense I have, but it's also been very much a process of discovery for me. Mm. I was born and raised in Cleveland, so my childhood was spent in the Midwest. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's certainly been uh, a learning curve. Sure, and sure. A, an adventure. That's a lot like my experience. Born and raised in Colorado, lived most of my life in the U.S. So tell me, to veer off a little bit, sure. um, did you, growing up in a Ghanaian household in Cleveland, were there a lot of Ghanaians around? There were not. There were not. Okay. And what took your family to Cleveland in particular? Because when I say Denver, people are like, Denver, why? Sure, yeah. sure, sure, yeah. sure. My father is a oncologist. Oh, okay. So mm-hmm. he was looking around for places to uh, apply his trade, and he mm-hmm. settled on Cleveland. Okay. So where did he study? So he did his undergrad at uh, Grinnell College in Iowa. Okay, yep, familiar. Mm-hmm. And then did his, his medical degree at Cornell. Okay, okay. So then he found... Cleveland. That's right. Yeah. But isn't Cleveland a big medical? It is. Yeah. It's kind of a medical, medical hub. Yeah. Medical, okay. Cleveland Clinic yeah. and lots of. Yeah, know, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I say that because it's like, that's the Ghanaian overachiever. Got to be in the best place. That's kind right. of. That's right. <laughs> okay. All right. So, you told us where you're from. Where are you local? So, I've been based in Accra for the last 17 years. Okay. And where in Accra? Because we. I have so many guests from Accra. I, sure. I like to get a sense of where. Well, where. I recently moved. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I was I was in Ridge for a while. Okay. And probably a couple of months into the pandemic, we decided to move to Ayamensa Park. Okay. So is, we'll talk a lot about Ayamensa Park talk about in a moment. Ayamensa Park, and okay. uh, also spend quite a bit of time up here in Abri. Okay. As well, I think my heart lives here in Abri. I just love the hills. Right. Yeah, I know why. <laughs> you're, just, you're, you're hearing it. Somebody else just yes, voted. Exactly. Yeah, Hooray. Yeah, yeah. Yes. So now tell us more about your craft. What is your craft? What brought you back to Ghana? Well, my family started investing heavily in real estate about 25 years ago. Mm-hmm. And apart from my father's medical practice, he's always been a keen real estate investor. Mm-hmm. So I kind of learned bits of that mm-hmm. from the time I was five. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. So, did the property acquisition start in the U.S.? Yeah, he was buying properties okay. in the state, in the states, rental properties, yep. um, Southern Florida. Mm-hmm. And at one point, he turns his attention to Ghana, mm. and we didn't quite understand why. We didn't really see all the opportunity that mm-hmm. uh, 
mm-hmm. that Ghana would, would present. Right. And, um, so would you say, did you have an, an idea that you wanted to come back when you were, you know, So I started coming up? back as a college student. Okay. Mm-hmm. And Florence, it was an absolute blast. I remember the day. Yeah. yeah. So I would come with my, my buddies from Columbia yeah. and sure. post up for the summer. Yeah. And just crack on with it and try and figure out what it meant to build in, mm. in Ghana. And mm-hmm. you know, it, was, uh, it was exciting. Mm-hmm. And you had the, the feeling that you were actually crafting and shaping something. Mm-hmm. Whereas being, I, I was a student at Columbia in New York City. And New York City, you know. It's built. It's built. Yeah. But I will say it's, it's so interesting because living there now and seeing, even thinking how built it was. Mm-hmm. Changing. We have it, dynamic. Yes, yeah, it's, right. it's dynamic, yeah. but there's a matrix sure, yes. that it sits on. The yes. avenues and the streets don't change. Whereas yeah. in Ghana, you can literally build the roads. Yeah, yeah. You know, you can take 12 acres greenfield and design where the parks are going to be. Sure. Yeah. You know, yeah. That's that's extraordinary. It's fun. Mm. Yeah, that is. That I think that was a big draw for me as well is being able to see where I could fit in and do something. Right? Like that's always been a like from the, I started coming when I was in grad school. So mm. a little bit, few years after, after you started coming, but I started to come with the lens of an economic, a policy professional, right? Because mm-hmm. I studied policy. So I came and I was like, oh, I'm going to come and I'm going to build roads and I'm going to work on transportation. I'm going to make all of this stuff, you know, systemized and really like see it. Mm-hmm. And so it was exciting as I kept coming to see more roads, right? So the road coming here, I was reminiscing on how painful it used to be sure. to get here. Sure, sure. <laughs> no, yeah. And yeah, it used to it just used to be painful. It was a very a dirt road, very sandy, dual carriage, yeah. all the way. Yeah. And so yeah. that road and that infrastructure, I want to talk a little bit more about just infrastructure in from the lens of a developer mm-hmm. in a moment. But that creates a whole different tableau to work from. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're so you would say your craft is real estate. That's right. Okay. All right. So let's talk a little but bit. I dabble a little bit in agriculture as well. That's so yeah. right, 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 right. So let's so let's get a little bit more into that. So tell us about the empire that you are building here because you have created a number how many you're probably at about five hundred homes now that you've built? Oh, probably less than that. See our original thrust for the business mm-hmm. was more like service plots. Oh, okay. You know, one thing that really, it jams up people in the process is acquiring land. Okay. Yeah. Right? So tell us a little bit more about that process. If I mean, because we're kind of in the, not the shadow, but the long haul of the year of the return, right? Sure. So we're looking at all these people wanting to explore opportunities outside of the U.S. or outside of the U.K. And Absolutely. Ghana has presented itself as Come, we want you to come, come be a part of who we are. Sure. So tell us a little bit more about the nuance of land acquisition and the differences between what you offer and why you offer. Sure. Well, offer. It's on land ownership mm-hmm. and ownership in Ghana can be quite contentious. It's not Cartesian. It's not necessarily straightforward. It's hard to know when you're acquiring a piece of land, who the real owner is. Mm-hmm. It's not uncommon for the same piece of land to be sold to three different people. Mm-hmm or for several people to have legitimate claims. So what we've been able to do is acquire sometimes chunks of land, put them all together, put a town sheet on them, put in some basic infrastructure, and sell them off in such a way that people feel comfortable um, 
knowing that they're buying a piece of property from a company and if there are any issues, they'll be addressed in a way that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that was the focus for a long period of time. And then as the city developed and grew, we were able to take chunks of our land and also use them as equity and joint venture partnerships. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And then just kind of that watchfulness and seeing how the city evolves. We said, you know what? This piece of land would be great for a townhouse community. Mm-hmm. This piece of land would make a lot of sense for an affordable housing development. Mm-hmm. And it was easier to kind of sell people on those visions. Sure. Because we had been engaged with that property maybe 15 years, 20 years. Sure. Uh, we could point to things in the community, in the, in the neighborhood, mm-hmm. to say this is what makes this place appealing. Mm-hmm. Given administration may have put in a four-lane highway that, <laughs> that borders the property, has right. value, it's got that connectivity. Right. So it's, you know, you're just watching and monitoring and, and learning. And So you mentioned that you were able to get investors. And I think I want to talk a little bit more about that because... Traditionally, the way that people develop their lands here or properties is that they might mortgage their own home in the U.S. or somewhere else to bring cash. Mm-hmm. Because I want to say that the the home ownership lending market is in its infancy. So That's there's true. a big there's a big push for that now. But so when you're saying that you've had investors and what are they looking for and how are you guaranteeing um, returns within a certain amount of time for that type of development project because I feel like that's not the standard that has not been the standard so how are you well it's oftentimes what I'm actually doing is not necessarily finding an investor per se but Mm -hmm. finding a partner with cash okay oh right where I can say okay look I can bring the title and bring you land because oftentimes folks with cash who are interested in the development story in Ghana Mm -hmm. just can't find a good piece of land that makes sense Mm -hmm. Uh, and if they do oftentimes they need to pay for it up front Mm mm-hmm Right, so it just it helps to you know if you've got two partners who are rowing in the same direction, both have skin in the game. Mm-hmm. I'm working on development now, Okwasi Heights, mm-hmm. and my partners. You know, we both have been able to put some cash into the into the deal. Mm-hmm. I've been able to bring the land in as equity into the deal. Mm-hmm. So it just helps everybody de-risk, okay. um, knowing that somebody else has skin in the game. You've got somebody who's been a landowner in Ghana for twenty some years. They know their way around. Uh, those issues mm-hmm. so I can take some of that headache off of uh, my partner's plate and my partner brings a huge amount of expertise in terms of engineering mm-hmm. um, that's really important when you're talking about affordable housing mm-hmm. you need somebody that's going to be able to value engineer mm-hmm. into the process mm-hmm. you know just to give you a few examples in this project we're working on now this is Pokwasi Heights. Pokwasi Heights yeah we're able to sell a two-bedroom house 95 square meters mm-hmm. for forty five thousand dollars Mm. And the only way we're able to achieve that is because we're able to produce our own curbs on site. Mm. We're producing our own precast walling on site. Mm-hmm. We're producing the tiles for the exterior patio on site. Mm. We're making our own kitchens. Like mm-hmm. all that, you really need to know what you're doing mm-hmm. and have partners who are committed and experienced so that you're not paying for just the materials and also having to pay for a contract to do all the building mm-hmm. and paying for a marketeer to do all your marketing, that's just building up costs. Yeah. Right? So yeah. if you can do that in-house with people who actually have an equity stake in the venture, mm-hmm. right, it just changes the game. Right. You right. Know? So, I mean, I'm, I'm able to do that now even with the marketing where my marketing spend is zero. Mm. Right? I can just throw a few photos on LinkedIn mm-hmm. and 50,000 people all over the world see it. Mm-hmm. 200 people engage me 
online. They're in my inbox. They want to know, hey, when can we come and visit? Okay, we'll start. You know, I'll, I'll reach out to my, my, my sales lead and Bernard has people trooping through the house for the next week. Sure. Right? So that's, it's. I mean, the technology has now changed. It's yeah. allowing us to identify Ghanaians with pinpoint accuracy all over mm-hmm. the globe. Mm-hmm. I know who I'm speaking to mm-hmm. when they text me. Mm-hmm. Right? I can see the schools they went to. I can see the positions they hold. Mm-hmm. Right? It's it's a huge amount of value. Like You know, you, you throw an ad in the graphic, half-page ads, and it costs you 5,000 CDs. You really right. have no idea who's seeing it. Yeah. When somebody calls you, they may tell you the name. They may not. Sure. You sure. know, so it's oh, it's rich. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's an incredible yeah. amount of data. Right. Yeah, I hadn't even thought of that dimension in terms yeah. of like what kind of pre, pre not pre-proven, but vetting to some extent potential buyers to some extent. I mean, just because you, there are there's a lot of fraud. You know, there's a lot of scammers, a lot of time wasters. So that makes a lot of sense. Well, it's it's yeah. I mean, it's it's that medium too. Yeah. Um, the people that are active on LinkedIn, they're yeah. usually business minded. Right. So that's right. pre-screening. Sure. Yeah. Right. And also more so than necessarily screening who you're speaking to. People, I think there's a book called Influence by Caldini. Okay. And uh, it's about sales. Okay. It talks about some of the drivers, and one of it's just liking, right? People mm. like people who are mm-hmm. like them, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So if you can find out that, hey, look, this is somebody that studied in Ohio, right? right. And I can just, you know, scroll through and see, hey, so you're, you're, you know, you're at Cleveland State, fantastic. I grew up in Ohio. You know, you can find a connection. There's always that ability when you have a bit more information and you can engage. People just feel a bit more comfortable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes a lot of sense. So, okay. So you kind of moved on to Pokwasi Heights, but Mm -hmm. let's talk a little bit more about Aimensa Park. Sure. Because that is your marquee project right now, I would say, right? Sure. Yeah, Yeah, we actually just finished selling all the units. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. 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 That's a big milestone. So, and that took you, so, so take us through that process. So that took us probably a good six years. Okay. Uh, 200 units, Mm -hmm. mostly townhouses. Mm -hmm. We did a few condominiums, uh, about 24, one, one bedroom flats. That's the building. That's the building. Yeah. So there's a bit of retail in front, Mm -hmm. but most of the development is townhouses. Okay. And I think it's particularly interesting for this environment because it allows you to start building up densities. Mm. Right. So if you go to mm-hmm. some, you know, your typical bungalow communities, it's not a very efficient use of space. It's not. I right. live in one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the issue is, as developers, we're paying for all the utilities. Mm-hmm. Right. You're bringing in transformers. You're bringing in electricity poles. Mm-hmm. You're responsible for putting them to the roads, the sewage. It's a lot. Buy the land three or four times as the developer. Mm-hmm. Right. So then, and there's a cap on how much people are going to be able to pay. Yeah. For a three-bedroom bungalow that's 140 square meters, right? Right. So then you start scrimping, mm, right? Mm-hmm. So you can see when you drive through IMS Park, all of the communal areas and the infrastructure are really beautifully resolved, mm-hmm. right? But when you see how much land an actual individual unit is sitting on, it's limited, Yeah. right? So it means you might be able to spend three, four times as much on infrastructure, right? right. Because you have this narrow bit of road frontage, sure. I can make that road frontage nice. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Underground yeah. sewage. Yep. And I can put in a community water system. Mm-hmm. I don't have to have a, an ugly, a huge ugly poly tank behind my house. Mm-hmm. I don't need to spend half of the money or half of the concrete budget building a fence around the property. Mm-hmm. Right. Because you've got such densities. Mm-hmm. You, you know, you don't 
feel like you need a, a fence around the, the property. Yeah. It's yeah. like, well, let's just fence the whole perimeter right. and not have internal fences around every single house. Sure, sure, sure. Right? That's a huge saving. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's, I mean, it changes the way people live. Like, you're closer to your neighbor, so yeah. it's more, it is a bit more communal. Like, I feel like you probably know your neighbors a lot more than I know my neighbors. I mean, I, because I've been there so long, sure, I know them, but yeah. Sure, yeah, yeah, sure, yeah. sure. So there, there are lots of knock-on effects. It's also, sure. there's a, a safety implication. Yeah. That everybody's master bedroom looks directly onto the street. Yeah. Right. So if somebody and I can see about I don't know maybe sixteen driveways from my bedroom, and it doesn't feel intrusive, mm -hmm. but you would need to be pretty bold to jump the gate, right, and start interfering with somebody's property, sure. right? Like there's there's lower hanging fruit around, right? And then you can oh that's there's more savings, right? Because we're not putting in bars in the window, mm -hmm. which is something that's pretty common in mm -hmm. Accra. So you've got mm -hmm. the burglar proofing, you've got the security wire, mm -hmm. all those things. You know, just from a design perspective, mm -hmm. you can actually design you know, out of your bill of quantities by thinking about, sure. about space differently. Right, right, right. Wow. Yeah, I, I hadn't thought of some of those things. So yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Quite nice. So we're speaking about Ayumensa, and it kind of leads me to my standard question which is why the where so it is how did you come to be living working and playing where you live so you mentioned a little bit of how you know you started coming and you you thought of okay you know there's some you know started cooking some ideas with your friends but how how did that happen how did that transition happen 17 years ago how did you make your jump well it wasn't a jump oh okay it was a very gradual process oh, okay. i would come i would go mm -hmm. at one point I could come to Ghana with hand luggage mm. because I had, yeah. you know, I had my, my warm weather gear. I, I didn't have a lot. I didn't sure. need it. Yeah. But got a couple pair of shorts and, you know, just so back and forth for a while. And it, at one point, it just made more sense to spend more time in Ghana than in the U.S. Okay. And then eventually I was, I was hooked. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So when you got hooked, was the idea to do real estate? I was involved in real estate okay. um, throughout the whole process. At one okay. point, we even set up a, uh, a factory to manufacture sinks and tiles and, uh, okay. and bathtubs. Manufacture them? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, in, in Afinia. Okay. Um, so we set that up. There was a factory that we bought in California and came, brought it over to Ghana and set it up. And I went and got some training over there. And so came and what happened? Is it still functioning? It's or? not. It was, uh, it was probably the wrong... The wrong business to invest in at the time, okay? Because uh, there's a lot of really inexpensive, yeah, products on the market. Products in the market coming yeah. in from Asia, yeah. You know, so to get people to, we were able to actually, you know, take orders and and match colors, sure. But it's very labor intensive. Yeah. You don't really have the benefits of the economy of scale, you yeah. know. And the idea was to kind of integrate that into the house building and sure. integrate that into the whole real estate story. Yeah. So it didn't work. Mm -hmm. But it certainly gave me a huge amount of insight into how business was conducted in this part of the exactly. world. Exactly. You know, we had, yeah. and I had the opportunity at 2021 to build a, a 5,000 square foot production hall mm -hmm. in the middle of the field. I didn't know anything about construction, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. but I had the opportunity to do that. Yeah. It was just, it was phenomenal. Yeah, that sounds, that sounds like a great experience. 
so I would say I my jump was very similar. I would come, spend time, did you know, some figured out business by doing a small business, and then I eventually said, okay, I figured it out. Let me start to dig in. Mm-hmm. So you came. That was your first endeavor. All the while you're doing real estate projects, working on on that. You mentioned that you are into some agriculture. Yes. When did that start? Well, it started, where did, where did I even begin? Um, living in Ghana 20 years ago, or spending a lot of time here, mm-hmm. there were just gaps in the market, and it just didn't make sense. You'd go to a place, you know, you go to a, a, some sort of uh, grocery store that's patronized by expats, mm-hmm. and you find a red bell pepper. <laughs> right? It's selling for $43 per kilo. Yeah. Basically. And it just was insane. Yeah. And I had the unique privilege of attending the mountain school in Vermont for a semester. Oh, okay. Which is on an organic farm in the Green Mountains in Vermont. It's a program affiliated with, with Milton Academy. Um, oh, okay. And we had our, our own organic farm that we ran as students. So it was 44 students on this extraordinary organic farm on 70 acres in the middle of the hills. So, you know, when I'm looking at prices that don't make sense, I'm like, oh, we can grow these things here. Why are we importing them into the country? Yeah. And we started small. We started just, I brought some, smuggled in some seeds, started <laughs> you know, growing in little containers around the kitchen, and then moved the operation up here with a, a friend of mine. Yeah. And it was, you know, it would, probably didn't cost us more than $300. Oh, wow. And uh, but we were able to produce maybe 11 types of, of basil mm-hmm. and we were doing cherry tomatoes and we were doing broccoli mm-hmm. and uh, so it just put that antenna up and uh, with each iteration it got bigger and bigger and bigger we, mm. I partnered with an American company mm-hmm. three uh, about four Americans that were in their 20s and they were stuck in Ghana they had all this expertise in aquaponics mm. but they didn't have a facility mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and they wanted something closer to Ghana or okay. something closer to Accra where the market is sure and because I was in real estate it wasn't very difficult for me to say hey look I can find a, this three bedroom house with half an acre behind it let's partner create an aquaponic farm and see how the market responds so we were able to set up this beautiful demonstration farm Ah. Um, I, mean, I wouldn't even call it a demonstration. It was a farm commercially oriented, but the okay. economics didn't work. Sure, because of, yeah, the size right? and the but scale, yeah. We were able to use that as bait to create a larger entity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, So it's just been this successive series of different iterations. Right now I've got a 5,000 square meter uh, tomato greenhouse around the corner. We can even go and check it out later. Oh. And we're doing cucumbers, we're doing tomatoes. It's beautiful. So tell me... Because green, the greenhouse use of greenhouses is a bit challenging here, right? Because of the temperature, That's right. always. So, how are you making that work? Well, I mean, behind your question is another question: Why bother even using a greenhouse yeah. at all? It's hot in Ghana. Yeah. You don't need a yeah. greenhouse. Like, typically, it's, baby. yeah, it's it's, yeah. it's pest control, and it's also it allows you to keep your arms around the process. Okay, right. Yeah. So you're pulling the plants out of the soil. Yeah. Right, and you're growing in a inert medium right we mm-hmm. use uh, ground coconut mm-hmm. husk mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right and that one of the issues in, in ghana ghana has actually really low yields for tomato production mm-hmm. That's um, what I've heard. and part of it is we have nematodes in the soil 
And what are those? Those are like almost microscopic worms that, that attack the root systems. Ah, okay. Right. And particularly detrimental to tomatoes. Exactly. Okay. Right. Particularly if you're planting in the same spot over and over. Right. Right. So getting out of the soil helps manage pest control. Sure. A tomato is also not a tropical fruit. Right. It's right. a temperate zone. It does yes. best in Spain and the Mediterranean mm-hmm. where it's hot and dry, mm-hmm. not mm-hmm. hot and humid in Ghana. Mm-hmm. So it just gives us a bit more control. Mm-hmm. It allows us to trellis the plant. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It also allows us to be scientific with the amount of nutrition each plant gets mm-hmm. and when. Mm-hmm. So we're feeding our tomatoes four times a day. Okay. And so then what about the temperature? How are you fanning it? Like how are you managing that well, aspect? We brought the whole production facility up in the mountains. Okay. Right? It's a little so cooler. Yeah. You've got those cool night temperatures, which yeah. are, that, that redness that you get from a tomato sure. comes from that the difference in the night temperature and the day mm-hmm. temperature. Mm-hmm. So being up here helps quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Even the design of the greenhouse, mm-hmm. um, it's a tropical greenhouse, so it's vented at the top mm-hmm. so the hot air can rise. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We are installing some fans in the next couple of months, but... We've been running it for months without it, okay. for, for years without it. But okay. So what kind of volumes do you produce? Well, it's there's some variability there depending on the season. Okay. Um, but we currently produce and sell everything that we produce to Melcom. Oh, So if you okay. go to Melcom and you're looking for tomatoes. They're from? There's a good shot that they're coming from us. Okay. Okay. And tell us the name of the farm. Our entity is called Premium Vegetables. Premium Vegetables. And then we work with a, uh, a management team and a yeah. distribution company okay. called Urban Jungle. Okay, I've heard of them. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Nice, 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 nice. Yeah. Wow. Local and local. That's right. Yeah, like Malcolm is our local, our most local supermarket, That's I right. would say. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's great. That's great to hear. So speaking of local, this is where I ask my local speak question. So this is where I ask, we want to hear what you hear. So I ask my guests to share a word, phrase, or saying that is a meaningful part of your local experience and why or how you came to value it as local speak. So the phrase I have is small, small. Small, small. Okay. And yeah. you hear that a lot in Ghana. Yeah. And it can mean probably several different things. Yeah. But uh, the wisdom that I see in that phrase it's a meditation on incremental change. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. That, oh, ah, small, small. Your adv- things are advancing, small, small, mm-hmm. which is okay. Mm-hmm. That you can, that that journey, you don't necessarily need to have the whole thing planned out. Sometimes right. you need to just understand what your next best step will be. Yeah. And yeah. you can take a small step in the right direction, even if it's in the wrong direction. You may figure out that's the wrong direction, then you can take a small step in the right direction. Mm-hmm. So that, that mm-hmm. small, small ethos. Yeah. Uh, I don't need everything figured out. What yeah. I need to figure out is, okay, what's the next best step? Yeah, yeah. I like that one because I use it all the time. Small, small. <laughs> small, small. <laughs> Especially use it when people ask me if I speak a local language. Uh-huh. And I say small, small. Yeah. Not, and what I should be saying is, fuel, fuel. Or something else in another language. <laughs> so let me ask you this. Do you speak any I of don't. You, you and I, me both. I don't. Actually, it's funny enough. I can read and write in Korean. Oh, interesting. I studied that at university. Okay. I lived there for a year and a half. Yeah, that's me too. But uh, yeah, I, my Ghanaian language, my kids speak Fanti. Oh, that's good. I had okay. the wisdom of marrying a beautiful Fanti woman. Sure, and she speaks. She speaks Fanti to my son, yeah. so we have three boys, and they actually even spend time in Cape Coast just to, to absorb yeah, the their language. their local language. That's right. Yeah, That's right. I mean they grew up; they're growing up here, so 
They don't have an excuse. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But you don't have an excuse soon. We're, we're going to get you some materials so that you can small, small pick using Amen. some tools. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So I want to get a little bit more into the juxtapose of the affordable mm-hmm. housing, like the economics of that, all. Sure. like the affordable housing versus the market rate, I guess, because in, in the, in the, to a large degree, you are making the market with some of your, like the IEMN says, is a market maker, right? Versus the affordable, like what is your target? Who is your target and how are you reaching them? Because 45,000 US is roughly 250, almost 300,000 Ghana cities, which is a lot of money for a Ghanaian. So it is. I even don't really like the term affordable for a number of reasons. Okay. Right? Like mm-hmm. one, as you just alluded to, affordable to whom? Right. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, so I'm interested in increasing the band of which there's uh, of affordability. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I also think in some ways we've built a very nice house. Mm-hmm. You know, it, the, pr- the price is intentionally moderate. Right? But it doesn't necessarily, to kind of throw it into the affordable housing bucket, it's kind of this catch-all where like, oh, well, you know, okay. is this, no, it's actually quite, it's, it's a great middle-class house. Yeah. It's reasonably priced because the people who are developing know what they're doing. Sure. Right? There's no government subsidy. There's no, you know, it's not social housing. It's mm-hmm. it's not a tenement. It's not a project. Good house for, you know, it's a decent house for a good price. Mm-hmm. So I don't usually lead with saying that it's affordable okay. housing. Okay. It's just um, a different offering, yeah. basically. Got yeah, it. Yeah. Got yeah. It. yeah. And, and for me, it took us, what, four or five years to sell 200 houses at the mm-hmm. 170 price point for the three bedrooms. Mm-hmm. I'd like to be able to sell a couple thousand houses in a year. Mm. And to do that, mm-hmm. I need to sell it at a certain price. Mm-hmm. 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 Got so, it. And, and also in terms of just the kind of impact we can make with this product. You know, I've got a kind of a, a wider diaspora mission where I think there are Ghana. people that are interested in coming to Ghana. Yeah. And, you know, we need to create economic opportunities mm-hmm. in order for us to enjoy Ghana the way we have for the last 20 years mm-hmm. into the future. Mm-hmm. We need to do a better job of accommodating people. Mm-hmm. Of, mm-hmm. You know, it's nice to create jobs producing 200 houses, but it'd be also better create jobs producing 5,000 or 20,000 sure. homes. Yeah. Right. So yeah. we just have to think differently about how we achieve those goals. And right. uh, to me, that's energizing. Mm-hmm. And when you waking up and you're doing something that you love, that you think it's really meaningful, mm-hmm. you have such an advantage. You know, it's almost unfair because it doesn't, doesn't feel like work. It's true. Yeah. You know, I literally, I get out of bed and I'm excited to see, okay, look, how far can we push this project mm-hmm. this week? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, and when you've got a team that's energized and shares that vision, it's an honor to be yeah, engaged. Yeah. So let me ask you this, because Ghana somehow is uniquely positioned as the place where the diaspora wants to come and is coming. So mm-hmm. what do you think are some of the competitive advantages that Ghana has? What are some of the trends that you're seeing? Like, how do we continue to sustain, you know, you've spoken about housing, but beyond just housing, how do you think we continue to sustain the attracting of diasporans or even middle-class Ghanaians? Because a lot of middle-class Ghanaians don't even want to be associated because of what they hear about the problems with property. And so they're like, oh, no, I'm not even interesting. So where do you see or where can Ghana 
expand its arms potentially to solidify its competitiveness? Well, we have to kind of make good on the promise, mm. right? Mm -hmm. So I think it holds a place of privilege in the diaspora being the first independent African nation. Yeah. And there's so much to that diasporan story that it's, uh, it, it really spans the entire Atlantic experience with the Caribbean. If you, you, know, you think about what Africa means and the Marcus Garvey sense mm -hmm. of the coming home, mm -hmm. right? And his experiences in the U.S. Mm -hmm. And his interaction, some of which was painful, with Du Bois. Right. But ultimately Du Bois understanding that the future of Black America was interlinked with the post-colonial Black world. Yeah. You know? So those connections, I've recently reread Souls of Black Folk, written in 1903. Yeah. And so much of that of that book, huge passages you could literally rip out and slap in an op-ed piece in the New York Times, 120 years after the fact, mm -hmm. and they wouldn't be out of place. Right. Exactly. Right. So it's that wisdom. It's the fact that Kwame Nkrumah and the first president of Nigeria studied at historically black universities. You know. So it's not well Ghana on one side, Black America over there. Mm -hmm. There's a connection, and it's been here for a long time. Malcolm mm -hmm. X's vision. And it's like, well, look, we've got this human rights issue in America. Well, we've got 50-some African nations that have a voice in the UN. Maybe they should be talking about this. Yeah. You know? So there's strength in, in that unity. There's mm -hmm. opportunity. Mm -hmm. There's stability in Ghana. Mm -hmm. There's peace in Ghana. Mm -hmm. You know, in terms of, like, the level of the homicide rate in Ghana is probably the same as Norway. Right, yeah. You, know? you can't say that for any American city. Sure. It's true. Right? So we live here with a certain amount of safety and dignity. And I think it's a great place to start mm -hmm. a conversation mm -hmm. or continue a conversation. It's like, okay, look, what can we build together? You know, and you look at African Americans and Ghanaians in the diaspora. That's a $1.6 trillion economy. Yeah. Right? Ghana's 60, 65 billion. But we can find ways to engage that can move the needle. Yeah. You know? So Absolutely. I. It's yeah. oh, you know, the question you ask, where to start? That's a great question. Yeah. Right? But in some ways, it doesn't really matter where you start. I think it's more about getting people connected. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's one of like my interested in, in places mm -hmm. and in space. It's okay, you've got a space. How do you create a space that encourages a kind of positive interaction? Sure. Where people can kind of fill each other out and say, okay, what can we do together? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, very good point. So I like that because it is kind of in line with my mindset hack. Mm -hmm. So this is where I ask, what is your favorite or an innovative mindset hack? Now, this is one that you can imagine or one that you can think of or one that you practice. Well, Florence, you're sitting in my mindset hack. This is it. Okay. I come to Ibri uh -huh. and I putter around my garden with my she pruning shears. Okay. And this is what gets my mind right. So describe the place where we're sitting. In your words, like how would you describe it? Okay, so we are probably, I would say, 30 kilometers from the coast. Okay, and we can Maybe. see it. We can actually see, yeah, in the distance, we can see the coastline. Mm -hmm. You've got that whole atmospheric perspective thing going on. Mm -hmm. You can see some mountains in the in the middle ground as well. Mm -hmm. But it's this lovely, so Accra is in a rain shadow, so it's a bit dry. Mm -hmm. But when you get up to the Aquapin Mountains, far more lush. Right. Right. So that speaks to me. 
Right. And there are trees. You can hear the wind in the trees. You can hear it. And you can hear the birds. Yes. And it's just gorgeous. You just yes. feel restored and renewed right. and unstressed. Yes. As soon as you kind of pass the barrier of the, uh, I want to say, the toll booth. Yeah. yeah. It changes. It starts, yeah. It's dramatic. Yeah. So, but let's talk a little bit more about the actual structure we're in, because this is kind of an innovative, you know, not what everyone builds. Like, we're in a brie, and there are some different kinds of buildings being built, but you are have a particular interest in something that's a little bit more sustainable. So tell us about this project and the adjacent Sure. Project. So we've got a few uh, structures on this property. It's a couple acres. So it's, it's really more about the landscape. But yeah. the structures themselves, they're built on um, concrete foundations, concrete pillars. Mm-hmm. But then it's mostly wooden decks. Yeah. You know, and we just love being outside here. And there's some incredible West African hardwoods that are available um, and if you know what you're doing, you can build something lovely and breezy. Mm-hmm. And you've got this kind of ambiguous indoor-outdoor mm-hmm. relationship. Yeah. And I love being up here with the family. I love yeah. to entertain up here. Yeah. We've got a lovely collaboration with Chef Binta. Okay. Who's a fantastic Fulani chef. And she comes and hosts events here. That's nice. a dynamic experience. Nice. So we'll put that in the show notes, folks, for those of you in the Accra area or coming. Yeah. She... Mm. Um, those are definitely interesting um, dining experiences, particularly in this atmosphere. And the, I have to say, the garden is actually very beautiful. I mean, everything about it is, I would say, a mindset hack. Like, I feel yeah. very much like I needed to get out of the city, and I've gotten out of the city. And we're having a lovely conversation. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And this is like a perfect COVID, absolutely COVID-friendly social, because there's basically... No walls. We're sitting in a cool breeze, so it's definitely open air. So, okay. All right. So at some point, but let's talk about it because this is actually going to be available, the adjacent property. Yeah. I think we're going to, yeah, we'll yeah. probably run it as an Airbnb. Okay. Got a couple of event rooms up space, there. An event space. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Always making spaces available. That's right. That's right. <laughs> I really like that. Okay. So let's pivot a little bit. You've told us a little bit about your experiences and on the business side, how, how you've kind of run the businesses. Let's talk a little bit more about you on the personal side. Like sure. you've talked about the mindset hack, but tell us something. So are you a listener, a reader or a watcher? I would say that I am a listener. Okay. So what is something that you're listening to lately? I listen to a lot of stuff. What I Actually, how I listen, I think, is, has evolved. I Ooh, just got a, an interesting listening hack that I'm sure that people who are, are avid listeners do this already, but I like to listen to things a bit faster. Oh, okay. Speed it up. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. Uh, so it could be between 1.5 if I need to take my time. Okay. If I'm in a flow state and I can get everything, I can go to 2x. Wow. Yeah. So, so wait, this is, a, I listen to quite a few books. So this is books. Or is it podcasts or it's recorded content, it's, obviously? It's everything. And what I like about uh-huh. listening is yeah. that it allows me to be doing something else. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I can yeah. cook and clean mm-hmm. and I can drive to site and yeah. I'm in traffic sure. and, you know, yeah. it's, it's it's not a pleasant experience. But I, I my tastes are pretty yeah. ecumenical. I, I will listen to lots of different types of things and I like to mm-hmm. follow a rabbit hole. Mm-hmm. You know, so mm-hmm. I read Boyce's book and then I found this nine volume Cornell West lecture series at Dartmouth mm. where he talks about the books 
It's talking oh, okay. about, you know, um, Souls of Black Folk. Okay. Right? And just to, to hear right. you know, a black public intellectual of that stature sure. reflecting on this work and then thinking about it from my Ghanaian perspective, yeah. it's just such a joy. Yeah, nice. Know? And then, then you can find something else. And I found a lovely uh, uh, Condoleezza Rice delivering a Du Bois lecture at the invitation of Skip Gates mm. at Harvard, mm -hmm. talking largely about uh, American foreign policy as it relates to Africa. Mm. You know, so okay. it's it's interesting to see connections between these yeah, various okay. voices, yeah. uh, hearing different perspectives, sometimes mm -hmm. perspectives that are at odds, mm -hmm. and just wrestling with material and mm -hmm. say, okay, well, yeah, this mm -hmm. is, where, where is this compelling? And right. you know, there might be somebody who might be di diametrically opposed to my political views. But you can connect on their basic humanity, and sure. they have some interesting insights into human psychology or yeah. whatever. Yeah. yeah, I think it's just about being open. Sure, sure. So um, that brings up something in my mind because I know that you homeschool your your boys. Yeah, so, and I this is a little bit rabbit holeish on my part. <laughs> so tell us a little bit more about like how you've designed that process because. Being able to do it, do it effectively, you know, cater to all of their developmental needs. And they're four boys, so they're they're not interacting with girls necessarily, which is a good thing in some ways and maybe not in others. But so tell us more about how you made the decision and then how you have been able to curate your education. Because working in education, I see tremendous value in that, um, but it's not available to everyone. So how... How have you gone about it, and what what do you see as potential challenges moving forward as they get older? Well, my wife is an absolute rock star. Okay. Mommy. So yeah. when you've got somebody who's just a master, yeah. um, when it comes to education sure. broadly, both for her own, and she's wrapping up a, a PhD in law at Oxford, yeah. works in admissions at the university. Okay. Um, so she she's got you know you you can be more improvisational. Mm. when you have that that level that context, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah so and my we basically work at least even in a theoretical sense there's an uh, american story mm -hmm. to our experience there's a european stroke british story mm. and then there's also our Ghanaian context so we don't follow one specific curriculum we oh, we're okay. able to pick and choose okay and find things that work best for us in terms of the decision found that a lot of the schools in Ghana, they may be strong academically, but they usually will have like a weak sports program, mm -hmm. right? Or they'll have some, you know, the, the artistic and music program is weak. It's not part of their focus. Right. And then you're having to fight an administration. For us, what happens in the playing fields, you know, what happens in the music room is equally as important as what happens in the classroom. Right. Because that's really where oftentimes you fine-tune your ability to understand the importance of small, um, mm -hmm. small changes. Mm -hmm. You know mm -hmm. that that's those things are extremely important. Or even in terms of the grit that's required to excel as a competitive swimmer. Mm -hmm. You know that grind and where you can say, well, look, I'm trying to drop two seconds on my hundred-meter backstroke. And you've got a, an idea of the amount of effort that's going to take you. It's not simply, well, I would like for something to happen. So that scholar-athlete tradition, which is very common in the U.S., it's not something that exists 
necessarily globally. So it's really important for us to be giving our, our boys that experience. And there are great resources in Ghana, but you kind of have to curate them sure. a la carte. Sure, 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 sure. You know. So socially, how are you, I mean, now we're in COVID, so that, you know, out the, out the door, but how are you, I guess sports was kind of the biggest. Yeah, so, you know, they were on a, a very competitive swim team. Mm-hmm. Their team captain, Abeku Jackson, has represented Ghana in the Olympics. Mm-hmm. So he's a great role model for the kids. And you've got, I think the, the team roster might have been up to 35 kids from ages 6 to maybe 26. Oh, okay. Right, And the, my boys would be spending anywhere from three to four hours a day at swim practice because they'd have to practice in the morning at 6 right. and then practice after school. Sure. So in terms of social interaction, there's quite a bit there. Yeah. And Ghana is a very social Sure. Country yeah. and yeah. you know they've got big families on both sides. So mm-hmm. there's aunts and uncles and cousins and birthday parties and okay. you know. So I think in terms of our social IQ and gun is quite high. Got it. You know, people that were interactive, were engaged. Got it. So I think we're we're doing well on that front. And then what was nice too is that we spent some time in, in the UK. Oh, okay. Because of Mame's program mm-hmm. and during the school year, so we could spend hours exploring and you know we could go back to the house and watch a uh, seven episode neil degrasse tyson mm-hmm. documentary mm-hmm. and start making connections sure 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 that's actually awesome i like the idea i think i mean i think there's a lot to be desired in a number of institutional educational spaces so i i definitely give kudos to families who are able to and um, provide a curriculum and a structure that works for educating the future because they are the future. They are the now. And I want to say the future. They are the now. Like we need them to be the best that they can be now. So we are getting to the end of our conversation and I don't want to leave. I might stay tonight. Well, you don't need to. You can stay for the week. (laughs) Nobody's sacking you, sister. Yes, 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 indeed. So before we go, do you have any last words for our listeners? Well, I would love for all of you to come. Okay. Find some time and put Accra on your calendar and come and visit us. Nice, nice, nice. And so all of this will be on the show notes. So Kofi's projects, where we are. I might even get a blog post in that kind of gives pictures and gives some color and some visible, tangible input on this. But I want to say thank you, thank you. for inviting me for giving me a tour. And I do want to see the the tomatoes, the greenhouses at some point. So that'll be great. All right, listeners, this has been another episode of the podcast that inspires a borderless mindset around doing something in the world. I am Florence Adu coming to you from the Abri Mountains in Accra. And as always, you can catch us at www.localcitizenspod.com on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, verbalradio.com. You can catch us anywhere you get your podcast. So please do subscribe, share, tell a friend. And as always, bye for now. Bye.